we're going to be looking at the first two episodes of, of X-Men. And it turns out that the production was a bit hasty in some ways and a bit a bit treacherous. So apparently the first two episodes were incredibly rushed. There were deadlines that were pushed back and they contained quite a few errors. In fact, the second episode had 50 scenes missing and only a day set aside for editing. It was... Inc- Jeez. Yeah. Now... I, I don't know if there's any editors out there, anybody, people experienced with editing, whether it be audio or video. In fact, those are the only two ways you can edit. Uh, it's <laughs> incredibly, it's incredibly uh, time-consuming if, if you don't, if you're not doing something that's regular. I mean, if you're doing a cartoon, that's the first episode of a series, and you haven't got the rhythm yet. Mm. You're going you're gonna to be looking at way more than a day. So is incredibly full of peril and because of uh, the delays and the errors fox threatened to cut the contract with acom the uh, animation team i think they're from south korea so that was even before it hit the ground it, there were threatened threats to the contract there is um we'll talk about some books coming up mm. um about about this really really interesting time in the history of Marvel, the history of kids kids television, but yeah, th- there is um, indications in these books that everybody involved in television was was predicting this will be an abject failure. Ooh. Like this is not going to work. Oh no! For a myriad of reasons, but those production issues were were part of it. Yeah. Oh, not not surprised. Not surprised. The air was since that they were removed and re-aired later, but still, it, it was it was it was terrible times. But however, however, <clears throat> the series uh, earned top ratings throughout its first season and was renewed for a second season of thirteen episodes. So, and that's yeah. no small thing because no. it is on it is on in the same block as uh, you know, Batman the animated series and X Men are on the same network. They're not going up against each other because you can't program against each other on the same network. But to earn the the top ratings in mm. in 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 that programming block is huge. It really is. Oh, oh, ab- ab- absolutely huge. Uh, I was trying to look into research uh, of this um, because I thought Batman the animated series came first, but it turns out I think it well it did come first, but only by it does, three yeah. months. <clears throat> three months it came out beforehand, and I always thought Batman came way. You know, way sooner, and then and then they went. Hey, this cartoon's pretty successful. Let's do X Men like that. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it quite runs like that. But no. what what is interesting is the huge difference in the production budgets and production mm. values. The Batman animated series had a lot of money to throw around. Yeah, hence Danny Elfman <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 all this kind of uh, incredible uh, title sequence and things. Whereas oh, the X Men. Beautiful. Honestly, some of these books we're going to talk about, it, it is like a ragtag bunch of underdogs desperately trying to piece a dream together, a collective dream they've all had, put it together on paper, <laughs> film it and share it with the world. It is, it is a miracle that this you know all worked and yeah <laughs> they didn't have the budget and there's all these production problems and animation issues it's a wild story 
<laughs> do you do you know what I love? I I although I love it that 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 the we look look at things something like Endgame, the Avengers movies, and go, how did they do that? How did they how did they put together a film with all these superheroes? And they look at it and go, but they were already successful. They already worked. Yeah. It, it's just it's just. But then you look at something like this where everything was against it and everything was failing. And that's a way that's a way better story. I like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah we all I like the underdog that. story, don't we? Yeah, I like that. So, more things about it. So, throughout the series run, uh, producers had to deal with quality control issues, including attempts to cut costs. As you said, it was uh, an exercise in budget cuts, which I have nothing but respect for. Uh, request to change the tone of the series. Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. What do you have? Do you have respect for slashing budgets? No, 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 no. I have. <laughs> well, right. well, actually, depending on what budget we're talking about, yeah, sure. Now, I have respect. I have respect. For, for coming out with a quality piece of work despite having your budget slashed. I like the ingenuity. Yeah, I like absolutely. the ability to think on your feet and go, hey, we, we have half money and we only shot, shot a quarter of it. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to do the rest of it on cardboard. You know, that I kind of... I thought you were becoming the Scrooge of the part, and then they cut the budget. Oh, what a marvelous time! So much respect for the slashing of the budgets. <laughs> <laughs> but many of these shows would be cancelled. That maybe they should and decrease the surplus. <laughs> TV guide. I don't know. I love quoting that line from uh, Christmas Carol. I absolutely love it. I'm trying to work it into stand up when society returns to normal. Anyway, so they had requests to change the tone of the series as well to something a bit more child friendly. <laughs> as well uh, to uh, integrate toys being shoaled into the show and of course I will always remember seeing you know I, I used to get Sonic the comic in the UK uh, I don't know if anybody in the UK I'll explain for the, for the uh, Americans and and what have you out there the non-UK people it was a you know Sonic is not a British character right <laughs> yeah but so he had Sonic the comic <laughs> okay Sonic the comic was yeah. a British comic Based on right, Sonic the Hedgehog okay. and okay. other characters in the Sega-verse, if you will. Uh, and sure. I don't. Th- I think it was pretty, pretty much only sold in this country. I don't know if it was sold in America. If it was, shout at me. Say, hey, I've still got issue number one, even though my mum tried to make me throw it away. I uh, remember seeing the in the cover, you had the advert, the big advert, and you had all the X-Men characters and the Blackbird that folded open. And you could put them oh, in little pilot that was a great toy. Yeah, I, I was I, I remember that vividly. I remember when we talked about the uh the action set for uh the what planet was it? What planet was the war planet? Battle planet? The you know the, the playset. Sure. It was like that. It was like it was like nondescript He Man style battle planets playset. Yeah. I, just a public service announcement now. I know that there's a lot of you out there who, who are well aware of the um, stereotypes surrounding um, fandom of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and I know that we all know two-thirds are relentless, monstrous perverts and, 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 uh, and debased devils. And I just want to say, Will Preston's not one of them. He's a good guy who just happens to like... A blue hedgehog. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible stigma that the other third of that fandom have to deal with, but it's not based in nothing. We all know that it's a red flag in terms of personality. But Will Preston, he's not one of those guys. And, and let's move on with the podcast, Will. <laughs> hey, let's stop the podcast for a second so I can furry shame Will. <laughs> my nephew, my 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 wonderful, uh, lovely nephew that I, I adore and I miss hugely right Aww. now during this pandemic. 
Um, he 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 uh, he's he's not so much of a fan now. But when he was kind of between the ages of five, four and six, massive Sonic the Hedgehog mm. fan. Same. And all he, one, all he wanted to do uh, really was get look on my phone and look at Google pictures of Sonic the Hedgehog, and that is a minefield. Even with even with mm. safe search on, you go. Oh, you just have to no no not that picture. Well, disturbing. I, I do another uh, video podcast. I don't know when the next episode is because I haven't spoken to the other guy in a little while. But uh, we did one. It's all about internet memes. And we did look at uh, Sonic stuff. And man, I I really winked at the abyss at that episode. <laughs> really give it, a, give it a wink. Let's put it that way. Uh, anyway, away from Sonic, away from furries, back to the X-Men. Something a bit more wholesome and American. Uh, so in its prime... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to talk about Gambit that much. Don't worry. Uh, in Wolverine its... and all the other murderers, all the <laughs> gamblers on the show. It's just paid murders with superpowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in its prime, X Men garnered very high ratings for a Saturday morning cartoon, and like Batman the animated series, it received wide critical praise for its portrayal of many different storylines from the comics. It's important to know that the MCU happens because of the success of movies like X-Men. And the X-Men movie happens because of the success of this cartoon series. You know, this really is a journey. It's hopefully a never-ending journey. It's a journey of how people first discover these characters. Um, It's a hashtag no gatekeeping journey. Because we know that the, the overwhelming majority of Marvel fans now come from the movies hmm. which makes perfect sense yes. so to gatekeep comic books and characters and history and trivia is stupid and we'll have no part of it um but but this cartoon series is 100% the reason that fox bought the movie rights to the x-men so briefly briefly behind the page before we go behind the uh screen i guess uh, the X-Men debut in 1963, teenage superheroes who have been mutated by the radiation of nuclear testing around the world. Uh, the idea of evolutionary, the next step in evolution would come a little bit later on in, in, in their stories. It's not a success. The X-Men gets cancelled in the 60s. It is really not Stan and Jack's best work at all. Oof. Then in, in 1975, Marvel relaunched the comic book w- with Len Wein and Dave Cockrum re- creating brand new characters to replace the original X-Men. That's when you get Storm, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Banshee, all of these guys. And then Chris Claremont takes over the series as writer. And Chris Claremont is really the father of the X-Men. Okay, he writes a series for 16 years, and that is the golden age. That is when all the amazing stories, the Proteus Saga, the Phoenix Saga, the Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, all of these stories get done. Fall of the Mutants, Extinction Agenda, the Morlocks, the Brood. I mean, it's just all spins out of this 16-year Chris Claremont era. And, and, and in those 16 years, Wolverine becomes this huge star, this anti-hero, this rebel that everybody thinks is the coolest character going. And X-Men goes from being a cancelled series to Marvel's number one best-selling comic book. 
So that's the brief thing. You can get the full one in the archives. <clears throat> this cartoon series will would not have happened without a woman by the name of Margaret Loesch. Yes. Okay? And maybe the MCU would not have happened without Margaret Loesch. Hmm. So if you're of a certain age, your age, my age, yes. If you're of that that kind of millennial, certain millennial, older millennial age, Margaret Lowe shaped your entire childhood. Um, she was children's television for a really dynamic period of time. So she was an executive at ABC for children's programming, an executive at NBC for children's programming. She was the executive vice president of all of Hanna-Barbera, the Flintstones people. Mm. Um, she was a producer on Transformers, Muppet Babies, Care Bears, Dino Riders. Who remembers Dino Riders, guys? I G.I. Remember. Joe, yeah. Fraggle Rock, My Little Pony, Dungeons and Dragons, <sighs> Inhumanoids. What? What? Inhumanoids? Defenders of the Mother Flipping Earth, Super Friends... The list goes on and on and on. The shows that she has had a hand crafting and putting together and giving a start to is absolutely insane. Mm. And and that list really is so much of my childhood. I don't know about you. That's Yeah, that's my childhood right there. And if you haven't ever heard of the Dino Riders, oh my God, check them out. It is the most fantastic concept for a series the toys i never had one i was desperate for dino riders toys they're so exp- i want the big ones they're so expensive anyway um so margaret loach becomes she's hired by marvel productions which is kind of the precursor to marvel studios and she's hired as president and chief executive officer in 1984 mm. at the time marvel productions was pretty much just doing cartoons um She's Stan Lee's boss. Um, and they develop a very close working relationship. Now, Margaret Loesch had already been working with Marvel because when she was over at Hanna-Barbera, Marvel were doing the comic books of things like Muppet Babies and Fraggle Rock mm. and you know some of the properties that she's in charge of at Hanna-Barbera. So she, she becomes uh, president, chief executive officer. She works with Stan Lee. And 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 have they have a really good relationship? And during the eighties, Loesch becomes really passionate that the X Men are the perfect concept for an, a, a hit animated series. They're perfect for tie-in toys. They're perfect for toys and, and and games and all of that. And she kept pitching the X Men and again and again. And she got the X Men pilot cartoon off the ground. This is a pilot. For an X-Men cartoon series, it was called Pride of the X-Men. Okay? Yes. You've mentioned this and before. It's Yeah, it features the 80s team, which involves Nightcrawler, Dazzler. Dazzler's in this, <laughs> uh, which is fantastic to make because she doesn't make it into kind of she's not really a very prominent character beyond the 80s. And and Colossus and Wolverine and Cyclops. And and it's about a young Kitty Pride joining the X-Men team getting introduced to the team. She's our POV character, our point of view character. Mm. Like Jubilee is in, in the latest series. And and whilst there was high praise for the animation of this series, um, it, it, it kind of really fell apart in the... There were lots of mistakes made when making it, okay? So anyone that's seen it, has, the fans and, 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 and industry people react and say well the fans really it has an overly campy feel 
a campy feel that doesn't match the X-Men comics of the time. So X-Men fans are turned off by it because the Chris Claremont era comic books of X-Men are not campy at all. <laughs> Kitty Pride is like a whiny damsel in distress, which is not fun. There's no mm. social issues being dealt with, which was a hallmark of the series at the time. And Wolverine is Australian. What? Did they did they predict Hugh Jackman and just went, We're gonna we're gonna do something here. We're gonna tie it <laughs> in with Hugh Jackman. He's Australian. That's what everyone thinks. Yeah. Basically, in this there was a huge breakdown in communication in production. Mm. Now the, the one of the villains in the series is Pyro. Yes. Um who is we, we saw the young kid version of him in the X-Men movie. In the comic books, Pyro is an Australian supervillain, right? So in the script, Wolverine calls Pyro a dingo. He goes like I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, carve you up, you dingo. But mm. The people in production don't know that Pyro is historically Australian. So they see on the page, Wolverine uses the word dingo. Ah, that must mean he is Australian. We need to cast an Australian. <laughs> and oh, there's so the, the, the communication, the breakdown in communication means that it just keeps running with an Australian Wolverine. And then they even switch the script around. So he no longer says it to Pyro, he says it to Toad who has never been Australian. Not to mention the fact that Pyro in the in the cartoon isn't Australian. So we get an Australian Wolverine. Anyway. Actually, was uh, that, wasn't, wasn't that a character from Neighbours, Toadie? Toadie, yes. Toadfish. Oh, yeah, that's, that, right. is a weird, that is a weird link, isn't it? <laughs> Second appearance of Neighbours on the podcast. I can't remember why we did it the first time around, but there we go. Yeah, me neither. So th- this pilot is not exactly what fans would have wanted mm. but that doesn't mean it's it's going to not be something that tv networks want so Loesch is pushing it to to the tv networks and she was interviewed about this time because it never happened it never got sold no one ever bought it it only ended up being a vhs release in the late 80s mm. that go, go just to a, a very you know exclusive market and Locia said this about Pride of the X-Men. I got very clear responses from the networks. Almost without exception, the responses were the same, but always in different words. I can actually specifically quote one of the network executives. Margaret, you have to stop pitching us these comic properties. Don't you understand that comics are read by 18-year-old nerdy boys and that they'll be of no interest to anybody else? It's for a tiny little population of nerdy young men, and it definitely won't make good television. Definitely won't make good television. Just because they're good comics doesn't mean they'll translate to television. The comics are so complicated and overwritten that talk, 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 they'll never make good television. Don't come (laughs) back here with another comic. That is what she's being told when she's trying to pitch the X Men as as the you know as, as she is in Marvel productions. She's the, the head. That over is there. the most horrible response to a pitch I have ever heard. Because usually it's like uh, we'll have our people call you. Thank you for coming. It's usually passive aggressive. If, if it's a let, if it's a you know, I think it's really important for us to take 
a moment here mm. to let that sink in. Yeah. We are now living in the post MCU world. Yeah. Where comic books and superheroes are seen as very viable entertainment, marketing, their brands, they bring money, they make money. We know people around the world of all creeds and colours, of all ages, will love superheroes when but they're done in the right way. They are the but new Star Wars. They are the new Star Wars. There's no doubt around sure, it. Oh, yeah. But it's really important to remember and to try and appreciate if you weren't alive then or had no knowledge of it that there is a huge chunk of time, a massive chunk of time between the sixties, between the thirties or whatever, to X Men and Spider Man in two thousand and two thousand and two, where this is the view of comic books. This is the view of superheroes. They're only for a tiny little population. They're only for nerdy young men. Girls, women, grown-ups, children, nobody... Like, this This is the dominant thought, right? In Hollywood, in, in, in anyone outside of people that are working for comic books companies, and anyone that isn't a, isn't a fan. So... That's the pride of the X-Men, the pilot dies on the vine. Nothing happens with it. Then in 1990, Fox launched a new division of children's programming called Fox Kids. And they hire Margaret Loesch to be the president of Fox Kids. (laughs) So she gets hired to run essentially this children's network. And what's the first thing she does? (laughs) <laughs> she picks up the f- Margaret Loesch picks up the phone she calls Stan Lee and she says Stan I couldn't sell the X-Men cartoon but now I'm running the network I can damn well buy it <laughs> it's got the green light it's going to happen she, t- she says to Stan I told Stan we were going to do the X-Men We were going to prove to the world that it's going to work and it's going to work great. And then, then I said, we're going to do the same with (laughs) Spider-Man. That's my master plan. And then she says, that's exactly what I did. Because Margaret Loesch is a badass B-word, man. (laughs) You people wouldn't buy the X-Men from me? Fine. Well, now I run the network and I'm going to buy the X-Men. I'm going to make it happen. That's just the most... In we owe her so much, right? <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. This is not. I mean, she she's a woman of incredible foresight because around the same time, mm. she puts the entire deal together to create and launch the Power Rangers. She puts that in place and puts it on the Fox. Oh uh, kids wow! Network. She's just she has been in this business doing children's programming for so long. She knows what she's doing, man. So Loesch and an executive at Fox called Sidney um, Iwinter vowed not to make the same mistakes as Pride of the X-Men. Loesch brings uh, Helms Sabin of Sabin Entertainment, famous for Power Rangers, and Graz Entertainment. They hired Eric Leewald to be the executive story producer. Now, Eric Leewald is such a big part of why the, X- the storytelling on the X-Men worked so well a lot with all the other wonderfully very talented uh, people that were involved there but 
Eric Leewald is the executive story producer. He had, um, before this, he'd, he'd been a writer and a story editor and story producer for favourites like uh, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, Gummy Bears, ah. Darkwing Duck, the Beetlejuice cartoon. The Beetlejuice cartoon was way better than it had any right to be. Actually, quite frankly, all of them were like that. All of them were were <laughs> yeah. like, oh, they're Disney? Yeah, but they're really good, man. Darkwing Duck, Gummy Bears. Ah. So Eric yeah, Lee Wood, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is, a, is a real key figure in this. And he, they work with Bob Harris, who is a legendary Marvel uh, editor. To fill the staff of writers there with comic book geeks, um, Will uh, Muni... Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, <laughs> Muniot. Will Will Muniot, Larry Houston, and um, Eric Leewald's wife, Julia Leewald, all came on board as writers. There are some two really great books written about this period of time, the production of the X-Men series, that I really, really highly recommend them. So Eric Leewald has basically made, done two books on this. He he's written a book called Previously on X Men, which is how every X Men cartoon started beyond the first episode, um, and that's a really great insight into what it was like for him coming on board and putting us all together. The production. This has got all the the dirt on. The the issues with the animation studio, mm. it's got all the dirt on the production values, how they were going to get it done. You know, he's not an X-Men fan and he didn't know these characters and how were they going to get it up and running. And then uh, Eric and Julia Leewald have a gorgeous, gorgeous book called X-Men, The Art and Making of the Animated Series, which is packed with awesome artwork, character designs... Loads of stuff like that, plus a lot of the behind-the-scenes things on those. Those are both really, really great. I mean, if you were a fan of the series, I think any fan of the series would love the the art and making of it. That's a really great book. If you really want to dig into all the stuff that went on behind the scenes in the, in the, the writing and the producing of it, previously on the X-Men is a great, great read for that. Um, you can get that on your Kindle and things like that. Now, Eric Leewald, not a fan of... Um, of, of X-Men, as in not a comic book reader. Mm. But he has said that he felt that was a benefit for his role overseeing all the scripts. So he had an he outside said, view. To... Absolutely. And he had a view mm. that is not beholden to comic books, not beholden to fandom. And I do think that's really important. Um, as long as you're open to conversation dialogue, as long as you're open to a fan saying, yeah. uh, this is why it's important for that character, and you can have so he said, I had to learn these characters quickly and understand what it was about their nature and stories that made fans so fanatical. My and, and my head writer, Mark Eden's entire agenda was to tell compelling, heroic stories that suited TV animation. Um, they struggled to find... Not struggled, but it was an ongoing process finding the right tone for yeah. that series. They wanted to do serious storytelling, serious adult storytelling, but in a children's medium. So the pitfalls of Pride of the X-Men is going way too far into campy, this is for kids, right? And not really respecting the material to a certain extent. Um, Loesch has said, 
of of the series we try not to lose the magic of the x-men itself we've tried not to skew it so young that we would alienate the comic book reader or the older comic book fans it is a challenge um and that marvel legend bob bob harris spoke of the series at the time and he was involved in you know putting some things together i think they've made a really really strong effort to mirror what goes on in the comics i think they've tried to see what will what we've been successful at for 30 years in marvel comics and translate it very well to saturday morning tv and i i don't know about you man but i think it's quite obvious from looking at it and i don't know how i mean i do remember as a kid that what i loved about it was that it was it was episodic like the comic books were this is like the first mm. outside media project to do a marvel series as an ongoing narrative yeah to present all the issues of the characters as a soap opera to present all these fantastical battles long-running character arcs story arcs villains coming back as ongoing every episode it, the story continues just like in the comic books whereas if you look at any other cartoon series including the batman animated series that mm. is not the case they're doing they're doing episodes that exist pretty much entirely on their own yeah right there might be a change like as you go on with the batman animated series um dick grayson becomes nightwing and from that point on he's always nightwing not robin right yeah but aside from like a, an overall change like that, and that's usually like they start a new series, and the new series is, oh, he's not Robin anymore, he's Nightwing, crack on. But aside from that, the story, unless it's a two-parter, yeah, the stories don't do that. This, it didn't matter if it was a one-parter or a two-parter or whatever, it all carried on. Wolverine's the mystery of Wolverine's memories carries on. The the love. The, the 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 impossible love story between Rogue and Gambit carries on. The love triangle between Wolverine, Cyclops, and Cheek. You know, they all the overarching things about Mister Sinister. Certain characters coming back from the dead. You know, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. And and then they get to do things like the Phoenix Saga, which is an epic. And they get to do other you know long running stories. And and they 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 never really done anything like X Men really paved the way for what we see in in the MCU to a certain extent. Incredible, and the success is huge as well. As you said, viewing figures were great, but it 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 did mean that Marvel could merchandise the hell out of these characters: <laughs> lunch boxes, thermos flasks, pajamas, bedspreads. The you know really really successful toy line, which. When I see pictures of them now, I get a flutter in the stomach because that's <laughs> yeah. a really huge part of my childhood, and that's and they look they look incredible. Like we said this in the X Men episode. Why would I? The the X Men in the movie are wearing black <laughs> leather trousers and jackets. The toys are a series of people wearing exactly the same outfit with a slightly different haircut and face. That is the dullest thing I can imagine. When I was a kid, and, 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 and this cartoon series out, these toys were incredible. All the different costumes, and, and you just, you know, that's exciting and it's vibrant. and it's So that toy line was huge. 
like you said, the the X wing fighter jet and all of that stuff. They even got the the McDonald's in on the action and signed up for a, a Happy Meal deal, which is a very coveted thing. And and this success got Fox to sit up, and pay attention, and um, Margaret Loesch is the one man. This is the reason <laughs> the deal happens. She was asked, like, do you think that the cartoon series played a role in Fox buying the movie rights? And she said, um, absolutely. I could be more specific. I was the one that <laughs> said to Fox, the Fox Features movie group, they have to do an X-Men movie. I took the product, I marched it into Fox Feature Division, and the rest is history. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind-the-page, behind-the-scenes, and comic book Marvel history.